Good evening, everyone. We have a special guest with us this evening. I always go a few moments here to let people come into the chat room. I hope everyone's had a great day today. Um, I know there's a lot of there's a lot of hardship going on around the world in the United States. It's really dry in the South and the West, and it's been a rough, rough year. So everyone just keep your head up and um, it almost always works out. So just keep your head up, stay positive. Uh, we're in for a treat tonight, folks. We've got Dr. Liz Haney with us here. And um, this is gonna be, this is gonna be good. Um, we need, we need uh, a lot of women in this space and there are some really good women in this space and Liz is one of them. So we're going to get to hear what she she's going or what she has going on in her regenerative world. So, as usual, giddy up, let's go. Liz, how you doing? Doing great, thank you. Good, good. Well, Liz, like like I do with everybody, what what's on your mind right now? So, what is on my mind right now is that I have had a a really good day and had the chance to reflect and communicate with a lot of the people in agriculture and the regenerative ag space and I, I have been thinking about how wonderful this community is and how happy I am to be a part of it. Yeah, it is a great community. Um, it's like none other. I mean, when you when you grab anyone that's involved and you can get a few minutes with them, they'll pretty much unload everything they, they've got. And that's just usually unheard of. And, and, and you know what, Liz, the other thing I really like about, about the people that are in this space is if, if there's something that, that's not working, we'll try to tell you that those things too. And that's important. You, you need to know the, the good, the bad, the ugly, you need to know it all. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah. And I appreciate everybody's honesty and support and their community and how trusting and supportive everybody is. It's just, it's just amazing. Yeah, it is. Well, folks, don't forget, ask questions in the, in the chat. And Rachel just sent one out to please make sure that can somebody please respond back. We've been having a little bit of issues with that. I don't know why. But uh, anyone out there, if you would just say hello. Yep, there we go. Keith, thank you. It's working. All right, Liz, I'll tell you what. Hi, Deanna. Uh, hey, Deanna, she's on every night. She's my, she's the faithful, her and Ed Bourgeois are on every time. So yeah. thank you, guys. They're good uh, Hey, Liz, what, uh, let's go back just a little bit in time, if you don't mind. Okay. And give us some of your, your past and and I want to. I've, I've I've asked a few people this question, and then, then I've skipped it a little bit. I'm going to come. I'm going to come to you with this question. When, when did you know that this is what this is the space you want to be in? Because you're an oh. academic. You you you've got a, a you've got a, a BS, a master's, a PhD, mm -hmm. and Liz, you're not doing the world you're in today is not that world. So when did that, yeah. when did you see that? When did you see the change? That's a really good question. Um, so 
I got my bachelor's degree in wildlife and fisheries. I ended up working in, uh, well, I was a bartender for a long time. And then I ended up working in a soils lab and went and I thought it was really interesting. Went back, I uh, got my master's. That's where I met Rick. Is this Texas A&M? Yes, at Texas A&M. Um, but I did that in mine soil reclamation. So I wasn't in the regenerative ag space. I didn't grow up in agriculture. Right. I right. grew up in an urban uh, desert place. And in fact, uh, Rick would bring people over like Ray Archuleta and uh, Gabe Brown and all those people. And they would stay up talking about soil health till like three in the morning. And I found it very frustrating at the time. And then I got pregnant and realized that in order for my daughter to have a future, this was the key. That regenerative agriculture is the key to not only her future, but her kids' future and all of our futures. And so um, it just kind of dawned on me one day that like the answer was right in front of me the whole time, but yeah. I wasn't paying attention to it. And so I, I really got um, full on board with that. Yeah, and you know, that's a common answer you hear throughout. Uh, the, the folks that are doing this, you know, it's like it was right in front of me and I just didn't realize it. I just had to take that that initial step or someone nudge me in that direction. And then then you say, oh, why didn't I do this 10 years ago type of thing? Yeah. So. So, OK, so undergrad at Texas A&M, a master's at Texas A&M. What about Ph.D.? Oh, unfortunately, I also got that at Texas A&M. Um, I was working for Texas AgriLife and I was offered the opportunity to get a PhD there in ecosystem science. And so I went back to school while I was pregnant with my second child. Wow. Um, yeah, which I looked, people looked at me weird across campus. Um, but went back to school and got my PhD in ecosystem science while I was working and uh, had one kid on the ground and another one inside. Um, and I was working on uh, watershed modeling. So we modeled with computer models, watersheds to determine if conservation practices were improving water quality. Really? Yeah. And, and this was done through the university, but was this also in conjunction with the USDA or anybody else? It was in conjunction with um, Texas AgriLife, USDA, ARS, and uh, NRCS. Oh, perfect. Okay. Perfect. Okay, so was this your stepping stone then into uh, USDA? Yeah, um, I had worked for them before. Like, all of my funding came through NRCS before that, but... Um, they were major, ARS was actually major contributors to me getting my PhD. Um, they really want to 
wanted to promote education and keep someone around that was focused on conservation and um, learning how to model things in a, a biological way. Yeah. See, so you were already you were already being groomed way back way back then. So you just didn't yeah. realize what was happening. No, I didn't know. I didn't know. But yes, all of in in everybody, I think that is in this space can say that that all of their experiences contribute to who they are today. And sure. um, you may not realize it at the time, but yes. Yeah. And then, then you then you met Rick. Yeah, I met Rick in school. Yeah, yeah you met Rick in school, and uh, just tell the tell the folks the quick story that I know about. Some instructor warned. Okay. Warned, yeah. Yeah. Give us that story real quick. Okay. So my major professor, Dr. Hosner, who was amazing, um, was. I think he was on Rick's like board or whatever mm -hmm. but they play golf together and <laughs> i came on board and 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 dr hosner told rick don't mess with liz she has a big redneck boyfriend <laughs> which i did not um have a red yeah no no redneck boyfriend but um so that piqued uh rick's interest and we uh ended up getting married at dr hoster's house wow yeah so he meant he meant that much to you guys that's great yeah yeah he he's an amazing human being good for sure well, you have to you have to be around those kind of people they they motivate you and push you to do things you otherwise wouldn't do well he believed in me i think probably before well definitely before i believed in myself and certainly before other people did so good he, okay. yeah well now let's fast forward now so um you've got you're quite busy liz you've got a lot going on um you've got soil regen you've got regen mills heritage ground uh let's just start let's just start at let's start with heritage ground explain what that is okay and and who's with who's you know who who are your counterparts there? Who, who's with you? Okay. Um, well, Heritage Ground is is really really would be nothing without Region Mills. So Region Mills is our mobile mill that we have built. Uh, we take a mobile mill to regenerative farms and mill heritage and non-GMO grains. And um heritage ground is the counterpart to that so we see the need for farmers that are doing really good practices um, in improving water quality and improving their soil structure and environmental impact and we want to help them create a market for their products so we go on farm and mill those products and then they can choose either to or not to uh, be part of Heritage Ground where we are building out a website and helping them market their, their grains. We can mill flour, cornmeal, uh, pastry flour. 
we have uh, a whole system set up that is um, FDA approved and um, can really get the consumer in touch with where their products are coming from. Because everything we do is 100% farmer focused. And we just really want to help our farmers and any farmer that is trying to do the best for themselves and for their families and for the environment um, to get ahead in the world. Well, we'll talk about total transparency and, and exactly knowing where the, the seed the seed started here, it was grown here, the, the grain that was raised turned into this bag of flour or, or meal or whatever, and then boom, the consumer, I mean, talk about a total, that's what I call closing the loop, Liz, and that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, so normally, I mean, if you think about it, like, in, and I'm sure everybody's seen the posts on Facebook or wherever that they're like, why is everybody doing this? You know, we get our food from the grocery store. Right. They don't understand where their food comes from. They don't yeah. understand the efforts that, that you all go into to produce this. And I, I mean, I can be completely 100% honest and say I didn't either. Yeah. Um, I sympathized. But until you listen to someone go through harvest season and planting season and all the troubles they go through um, and all the effort that they're making to produce this food for people, they don't, people just will not understand. So I really want the consumer to understand with transparency where their flour is coming from or where even their beer is coming from, anything. Um, if nothing can be made without the farmer's effort and y'all go through a tremendous amount of hardship, especially um, now in drought days or you're getting too much rain or flooding, um, everything's so variable that I, I really think it's important for everybody to understand how hard everyone is working to supply food for the nation. Yeah. Well, and on the flip side, you're trying to you're trying to reward that farmer bringing that extra value so that they can get a premium price for their product. For sure. So um, it works both ways. It does. And 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 you know, every farmer works hard. But I have seen that people in the regenerative agriculture space spend a lot more time planning and preparing and doing a lot more with um, crop rotation or, or, or just, you know, planning out the year basically versus someone who might just be, I'm going to plant corn and, and then be fallow and then plant corn. Um, and I'm not saying they're not working hard because they are. But um, there's a lot of effort that goes into changing one your mindset into your your management practices that are benefiting not only themselves but they're they're benefiting the whole entire country with their practices and they right. should definitely be rewarded for that. Right. Yeah, and the other thing I like what you're trying to do too, Liz. Um, is like you're going out and you're trying to find like let's say 
um, a pastry chef and then come to that pastry chef and say, look, we can, we've got this farmer network. I can bring a heritage grain to you. We'll mill it right here on site. It'll be fresh. There'll be, you know, no, no, no chemicals used or, or whatever, whatever the case may be. And that's what I really like because you're trying to get those people that not only care, but they're, they're preparing the food then for that consumer. Yeah, and bakeries are really a good starting point for that. And there's a lot of artisan bakers that are very interested in where their grain comes from, and they want to tell that story. And so if we hear of someone that that wants a particular grain or wants to have the story behind it, we're very interested in connecting that farmer with that baker or with the consumer um yep. to me the most important thing is that that really that consumers start seeing your story they yeah. start knowing that rick clark you know spends all of his time he's a regenerative and regenerative organic um you're doing different things on your farm and what does that mean to them and what does that mean to the food that they're growing um what does that mean to what they're consuming so we're also, you know, working on research to figure out how these products are better for humans, um, what that means on the environmental impact and what it means on soil health. It's awesome. So how can folks find Regen Mills? Um, so right now we just have a Facebook page. We don't have our, our um, website oh. built out yet. But uh, we have the trailer built now, and we're going to start rolling. Uh, we have, so Region Mills is 100% farmer-owned. We have a group of farmers that are invested in it. They get priority in milling. Uh, we help them with, you know, what to plant and when and in, 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 in their marketplace. Um, we try to make it completely fair for them to make sure that that they have a market where they're at, but um, we do custom milling for companies as well. So um, really reaching out to me or, or Russell would be the best thing right now. Yeah, and okay, so let me, let's go a different direction on this. Let's say, let's say I had a product and I had a name on that product, but I can't seem to get the exposure I need to. Can you help me brand or can you bring me in under your brand name and then run, run my product that way? Can you do either one of those two scenarios? Well, it depends on the product. Um, but definitely I have people reaching out all the time wanting glyphosate free wheat or yeah different products that have different attributes. I mean, I think I, I texted you the other night, somebody wanted regenerative organic soybeans. Right. Um, so when I hear of that, I, I definitely try to reach out to the people that I know. If I don't know someone that has it, I guarantee I can find it. Um, you know, yeah. our biggest thing is, it's really trying to connect our farmers and any farmer with the market that they need. I'm not a commodities broker by any stretch. Well, but. yeah, but this is beyond a commodity. This is a, 
you know, a commodities of vanilla um, abstract thing. I mean, this is getting specifically down to, you know, I've got 30 acres of open pollinator corn that, that dates back, the genetics date back, I don't know how many years, that's not had any chemistry put on it or anything. That is a specific item. Yeah. And, and I, I want that out there. And I want someone to buy that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, at a premium. Yeah. And they should. Yes, they definitely should. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I'm also working within the larger industry to try and create the infrastructure to be able to store in identity, preserve regenerative grains, which is a much heavier lift. But starting those conversations is necessary. That's interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So that, that's going to lead into my next thing here. So let's go now to over to the farmer side of the equation. Mm -hmm. And now you've got a certification that you're working on with your, at soil regen, yeah. uh, regenerative certification, but I'm sorry, Liz, what's the, what's the proper name for this? So we have regenerative verified for grains and fiber products, vegetables, produce, and then we have regeneratively grown for protein products. So milk, eggs, uh, beef, pork, anything like that. All right. So let's just focus on one at the, let's do the, let's do the regenerative uh, verified first. Explain okay. what this means. Uh, you know, I'm assuming, I mean, we, anybody could do this, right? It doesn't have to be someone that's in this space currently. They could be ready to move to this space. Maybe you get a baseline first and then and then come in. So just just go take us all the way through this. Okay, so we started out um, and it's based on scientific data from Rick Haney and Lance Gunderson. Okay. But the idea behind it is that we want regenerative farmers to have one space, one place, or a voice to be able to tell that consumer story. So regenerative agriculture has many different definitions. Um, as you know, I interviewed you and, and many others, and everybody has a different definition. Yep. But one thing that regenerative farmers are doing together is restoring the soil. So we have a scientifically validated, unbiased, not opinionated method of verifying that farmers or producers or ranchers are restoring the soil. So we believe that if you restore the soil, you're gonna restore, restore the whole entire ecosystem. So we have a process that we can test the soil and based on um, how you're doing on your management practices, we can tell if you're regenerating the soil. See, um, Liz, I want to stop you right there. Okay. This is huge because this, and I hate to use this word, but this eliminates cheating, right? Oh yeah. So see what's so big about this folks is like, Let's take this a step further 
And now let's look at um, like what I'm doing with being organic. Uh, we can, or Liz and her folks can now take a, a test of your soil. And I think you're doing a zero to six and a six to 12 uh, sample. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. And then you're going to, we're going to see if, if they truly are being regenerative and if they should be indeed getting that premium. I mean, this is a big deal. And is there any other company or anyone else you know doing this right now currently? Not in the way that we are, no. Yeah. No. Sorry to interrupt there you. Are, Keep going. No, you're good. You're good. I'm glad you did. Um, there are several companies coming out with different um, methods to so-called verify regenerative agriculture practices. A lot of them are opinion-based. Um, a lot of them are cost prohibitive. A lot of them require like long-term farm plans, this and that. But um, our method is very farmer friendly. It's not operationally restrictive. It's not climate restrictive. Um, and, and to give an example of that, so let's say you have uh, Rick Clark where he's at and he gets adequate amounts of rainfall and he has a completely different soil type than say somebody in uh, Western Kansas. We don't want to penalize a farmer in Western Kansas because of his soil or climate conditions. Yeah. So that's why we do a zero to six and a six to 12. The six to 12 inch sample serves as a baseline. We can tell, um, kind of where your your baseline's at, your parent material's at, what the 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 standing condition is. And then the zero to six inch is where your management practices are most influencing soil biology. Right. So we can look at those two compared to each other in in your climate, in your management practice. Um, you know, a a person who is grazing cattle in Kansas is going to have a completely different regime, a completely different management practice than someone who's growing corn in Indiana. So we want to, we want to measure them against their self. So if you're improving the soil over where it was before, we can tell that based on soil testing. And then we verify that the person is doing at least one regenerative practice and that can be no-till, that can be incorporating pollinators, it can be using cover crops. Um, we can verify that they're actively improving their soil, which to us is the base, or to me anyway, is the basis of everything, um, and, and determine if they're, they're being regenerative or not. Sounds to me like it's a pretty good um, testing method for the so-called carbon markets that are out there. Oh, do we want to go there now? No, I don't. Okay. But I think if we would, if we would, it is. And you're right. With the current structure, <laughs> I think this would be a way to monitor to make sure that then now we can come up with a different a different way to to pay that farmer for. And I don't even want to use the word carbon because I don't like that. But and I don't want to go there. But I'm just saying, Liz. I think someday maybe you've got the baseline here for a different way to look at this carbon carbon world. Well, now that you mentioned it, 
we yeah. would very much like to look at that. Yeah. And I think that um, personally, I think that the farmer that is improving their dynamic carbon cycle in the soil should be compensated for that effort. Totally agree. Totally but that agree. the farmer should own that carbon credit. Yeah, right. Well, folks, don't forget questions. Put them in the chat box. Don't don't let me just just ramble on here. Uh, got got Liz here. She's great. Got a lot going on. So bring your questions to the chat box, please. Um, okay, so Liz, let's go now then to. Well, no, we need to talk about regen protein. So talk about uh, what that means. I mean, I, I've got an idea what it means, but how do you look at an egg person versus a, a, a cattle person or a sheep person? How do you look at the differences? So regeneratively grown, like we, I said earlier, was for protein products. Um, their management structure is completely different than, say, a corn farmer. So when, I'm assuming this is what you're asking, but um, when we have an egg producer that has pastured eggs, um, they have a completely different production system logistically than, you know, a corn soy farmer. So we want to be very mindful of the production efforts that they have to do based on on like FDA requirements based on um, how they're treating animal welfare, all of that. And, and when I've gone to visit, um, let's say an egg producer, they, their animal welfare, their production practices are all reflected in their soil. So we have their management practices. We, we know what they're doing. But when we test our soil, we can clearly see the animal impact on the soil. So that's, that's critical into being able to relate that story in, in the scientific data to how the plants are, are responding, how the animals are responding versus a row crop situation. If you're in a row crop situation, um, we can also see if someone's, you know, doing a diverse mix or they have a diverse crop rotation they're doing cover crops and the soil is is completely responsive to all of that so we feel it's a, a really good measure of of everybody's practices just by scientifically validating that they're improving the soil did that answer your question oh yeah oh yeah that was a very good explanation so Okay, so I've kind of set this up to talk about, you know, a row crop farmer alone, a rancher or, or, or an, an egg layer or whatever by themselves. What about that combination of where you've got that farmer who's got some row crops, but yet he's also rotationally grazing some animals across certain parts of his farm. Do you see differences? in those soil samples on the farm where the, where the livestock have not been compared to where they have been? Well, it depends on how they're managing it. I mean, you can see animal integration is one of the faster ways 
to, I think, improve soil health, but not right. everybody is, is prepared for that or into that. Right. And I don't, I don't, I don't want cattle. I don't, I don't blame them. Um, so, but you can see the impact, but you can also see the negative impact if it's improperly managed. So, um, and it, it, it's a different situation. Let's say you have a dairy where you have, it, it, it's been very interesting to me. I'm going to back up. It's been very interesting to me to see how like the federal regulations are and the FDA regulations are on a dairy operation versus a um, egg laying operation versus like corn and soy. There's not as much. So that, mm-hmm. yeah, they have to work within that system and, and we really want to help them improve the soil in every system but it's still a system which they have to work in into. So that's, that's been very interesting. Yeah. And, and I would, you know, I don't want to pick on Iowa, but I mean, Iowa's got water problems. Um, There've been lawsuits. So, you know, we always talk about soil health and soil this, soil that, but it's also the water quality we got to be cognizant of. I mean, when you think about livestock, that manure has to go somewhere and we've got yep. to make sure that manure is being managed properly and that that you have good water quality for your people downstream to drink yeah and i i feel it for the dairy farmers they're kind of hemmed i think by the uh, the production methods and the way that that the regulations are right now in the way that they have to run things, you know, in an economical fashion. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're manure management is, is huge. And I, I have had people tell me they're tired of milking SHIT and hauling SHIT. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. And how do you transition out of that? I don't, I don't know. It's, no. Yeah, I know. If you can tell me, I'd be happy to know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know today. I don't know. Um, we've got a great question from Deanne. Um, that I think you're gonna know this based on the tests you've seen. Um, would you say comparing a herbicide pass to a tillage pass, which one has less of an impact? on soil biology in the zero to six inch zone? Well, are we talking about one pass or excessive? Yeah, let's just so talk it's about gonna, let's just talk about one, one pass. I have not done the research on that to statistically verify either one. Um I will say I would prefer someone do a tillage pass versus not growing cover crops. Um, I would prefer someone spray down their cover crop and be able to plant a crop after it than to suffer from not being able to terminate. Yeah. So it's it's operational. Here in Texas, um, we don't get good winter kill we can't 
really crimp our cover crops. Yeah. So we have to do a, a we have to and, do a, a termination. Yeah, and see that's a very good point you're making there. Now you're talking about context, so you have to look at that. You you alluded to this earlier when you compared me in Indiana to a farmer in Western Kansas. You're not going to look at us as the same way because it's not the same. No. So the exact same thing you're talking about. Or is, you in an organic situation. Yeah. Where you you're not using glyphosate. You need to grow, you know, something you can, you can lay down, right? Yeah, that's right. So you don't want a lot of, you probably don't want a lot of like clovers and or low pretty. growing, yeah, low growing stuff that won't crimp or kill. Right. Right. Because then you're going to have to, you know, we don't want you to have a hard time growing a crop. Right. It's not going to work. We have to remember, and I have to remember this too, because I'm, I'm very stubborn. But we have to remember that we've yeah. got to, we've got to come up yeah <laughs> we've got to come up with systems that are viable and profitable. Yeah, and so like assigning a set of well, like you're organic assigning a set of um, checkoffs, which has worked for organic somewhat in your system. But in other systems, it's been detrimental to the soil. Right. Um, we don't, I don't want to do that. Because I don't want to create a set of parameters for someone that might lead them to fail. Right. Yeah. It's exactly right. Because then you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're setting up a system where the system is not regenerative and not sustainable and not scalable yeah. yeah and what i want is people to succeed in farming and help them the best way we can and right. it might be a herbicide pass it might be light tillage i don't know yeah i i i, I believe in that i i do i i've been stubborn but i believe that there's going to be a need for some of those things occasionally. We have to look at this as an acute situation, not a chronic situation. Right. And I think so, Lance says that really good. Like he, Lance Gunderson talks about um, chronic overuse of, of eating sugar on your metabolism versus, you know, every now and then. Yep. where you have chronic tillage just because you are recreationally tilling yeah. versus I need to till because I got flooded out and I have some crap going on here. Yeah, I mean, occasionally, I mean, I've done some tillage this spring. I don't like it, but I have. We've, we had a couple issues where we had perennials that have gotten so out of control. We have to get them under control and yeah. it took some tillage and there we are. It's done. Um, yeah, and you can't and you can't spray. So no, I can't spray. So that's that's where I'm at. Yeah. Um, okay, we got Jeremy from Michigan. Uh, Jeremy says, Liz, I see you have a wide scope of what products you work with. How wide is your area? I love to grow organic sweet corn. Sometime, do you work in Michigan at all? Like, well, yeah. 
Even if you don't, you would. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. So, um, and we do have some, uh, sweet corn growers that are regeneratively verified. Yep. You've got a big one in coffee County, Tennessee. Yep. Very good. Yep. Yep. She can work with you, uh, Jeremy. So, so Liz, it's, it's soilregen.com. Is that your website? Uh, ag, ag, soil region, R-E-G-E-N.com. Ag soil region. Yes. Rachel will type that in the, if Rachel's there, could you type that in the, uh, the chat for us? I appreciate it. And then uh, Deanne was saying earlier when we were talking about the, the tillage versus herbicide, yes, one pass herbicide versus two to three tillage passes during the growing season to control weeds. Yeah. Yeah. So there's- Yeah, there's, Deanna, uh, it, you're uh, right. It's all about context and- Yeah doing what you gotta do and minimizing disturbance i mean that was the whole like principles minimizing disturbance minimizing use and sometimes we take it a little too far yeah and minimizing disturbance means two things it's it's tillage and chemistry so you know you used to be here shrink it down to here and and maybe get it to where Maybe you grow a crop like soybeans. We don't need any tillage or anything with soybeans. Get your cereal rye growing, roll it down, grow beans and rye. And then you've given your, your, that part of your farm a whole break of tillage and chemistry. So that's where I see where this stuff really can, can work and help. What do you uh, put down before corn? It depends. If, if we've got time in the fall i love to plant legumes like uh, balanza clover hairy vetch mm-hmm. and maybe a winter a winter or a cold tolerant pea if we've got time in the fall and then yeah. that stuff will come up and grow in the spring survive through the winter and and we'll have it we'll have it next spring then plan b would be uh bringing corn right out of alfalfa which I like doing that, but we've got to have help from other nature. And Liz, I've, I've been telling people since I've been, I still speak uh, a lot. And I started telling these folks back in July that we've lost some corn. We've lost 280 acres of corn to this method. And I've talked about how risky it is, but you've got to have help from mother nature. And we didn't get any rain and the corn just got crushed. So we have to be careful how we do these things. And then- You can't do anything without rain. That's right, you just can't. I mean, and, and, and heat is a problem too, because I think the folks out West are gonna see that you can run pivots all day long, but if it's a hundred plus degrees, I don't think it matters. And it, I mean, it probably matters, but I don't think you're gonna stop the, the degradation or the pullback. Of that yield, yeah, you're still yeah. going to have yield loss. So, what are you doing with alfalfa? Like, what's your rotation? Because, like, a lot of people I see are doing five, six years, or continuous alfalfa, and then their soil structure just turns to crap. It's crap because you've taken all the carbon out of the profile. Yeah, you've 
you've created all those proteins and nitrogens. I mean, the soil is just falling. It's just falling in on itself and it is hard and compacted. So what we're trying to do is two years of alfalfa. Mm -hmm. And then what we've been doing now, Liz, is at the end of this of this of the cutting season or the chop, whatever you want, you know, the, the cutting, mowing, merging, pick, chopping, yeah. all that. We come in and we we plant um, 40 to 50 pounds of cereal rye into that alfalfa, trying mm -hmm. to introduce carbon back into the system right in. Mm -hmm. And then that next spring, we will plant corn into that alfalfa and that 40 or 50 pounds of clover that, or I'm sorry, cereal rye that survived the winter. And then we'll roll it all down and, and plant or plant the corn and then roll it all down. But, Do you have to terminate the alfalfa? I mean, no, we're not yet. We're not to this point. We are not. Okay. But you've got to so get the corn will ever take it. The the corn and we're on 20 inch row spacing. So the corn will canopy and absolutely <laughs> smother this alfalfa out. If okay. you can get a couple of rain events and get the corn yeah. to come up and take off. And and I got to be I got to be honest with everyone I talked to. We had and I don't like to use this word because it's too negative failure. But we had 280 acres that failed. But Liz, I've always tried to have some kind of an out. So the out was I called the dairy back up and I said, hey, would you guys be interested in taking this back as an alfalfa field? They came and looked at it and said, sure. You know, the alfalfa is a little bit overdone, but you've got some corn in here. I mean, it's dying, but you've got corn in here that still has feed value. When you mix yeah. it together, it'll be a great, a great product. So yeah, we'll take that from you. So those 280 acres have been turned back into uh, alfalfa fields. And we just took a cutting off of them the other day and they were almost uh, eight tenths of a ton per acre. I mean, I couldn't ask for anything better on fourth cutting alfalfa after trying to raise corn in it. So I think that's important to think about the alternative market. Like you're looking for, okay, this maybe didn't work out, but I called someone and found yeah. out that these people need this stuff. Yeah. And so how do we do that? And I, I don't know that most farmers do that no so how do you find the how do you find the resources and the and the people to call to make that happen well it's it's hard but i'm i'm in a little bit different position than than some people because i am out speaking a lot so i run into a lot of people and there'll be some but business card that 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 i got handed and i'll think ah i remember talking to Sally in Tulsa and and I'll give Sally a call and she'll say yeah you're right Rick I'll take that product you know if you can get it to me in 30 days I'll take it and and that's kind of how how I roll with it but but Liz this would be an opportunity for you to build that that network now and then you say hey I know that 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 grower in Tulsa that was growing uh, Kernza, 
and I've got a buyer in Louisiana that wants Kearns in. You know, that's oh, for what, sure. And we're doing that. It's just there's a yeah. very wide cast network of people that we all need, you know, to work together to make that happen. Yeah, but you know, I I often sit around and I just think about how how can we how can we do this differently? Why are we raising corn? Why don't we raise Milo or or sorghum? Um, so you go talk to the dairies, and the dairies are like, well, yeah, we would take a we would take a forage mix of of a forage sorghum and and maybe some turnips and some radish and some Italian ryegrass and maybe some sorghum Sudan and. And we would take a, instead of having the traditional alfalfa, we would do uh, 200 acres of that type of a, of a forage. Well, then that opens up everything now because now you've, you've now taken that forage off in let's say a Memorial Day, so the end of May. So now you either A, you could come back in with a second crop after this, or you could now focus on a massive cocktail package to get you set up for the cash crop for next year because that because liz that's the excuse i hear all the time rick i don't have time i live too far north it's too hot it's too dry i can't get these cover crops planted in time well let's don't double crop a cash crop after a cereal grain or a forage crop that comes off in early june then you can just pound it with whatever you want to to get ready for next year so I've asked people this question before, but do you think it's harder to be a conventional farmer or a regenerative farmer? Well, that's a good question. Um, it's harder to be a regenerative farmer in the beginning, but once you have everyone on board and everyone's seeing that, that this is working and and you you follow the guidelines that are established the regen farming is pretty easy now the tillage guys i don't know how how they do what they do i i don't know they constantly are pounding the ground into oblivion and still yeah, their asses hurt yeah and they're still raising a crop so i don't know sometimes i look at those guys and think they're really good farmers because look what they're doing to the soil and yet can still raise raise a crop yeah. if that makes sense it does but they're not looking at well the future. some of them are but a lot of them don't look at bottom line no or the future ROI. no no not you all. know i you know i Again, I, I, I've been talking about this since July, and I hope people are listening, but 22 was, is uh, going to be way different than 23 is going to be. 22, and, and what I mean by this is in regard to the inputs. In 22, most of the fertilizer around the world was already in place before Putin invaded Ukraine. But in 23, those fertilizers are not in place right now. They come out of places like Russia and they come out of places like China. 
and 23 is going to be a way different ball game than 22 was. So please, if you have the ability and you're still purchasing inputs, you better start thinking about how you're going to get those now. And then what would really be great would be to go to some of these conferences and learn how to start farming regeneratively and start becoming less dependent on these synthetic fertilizers. So what do you think is the first step in reducing your inputs or taking a step on the regenerative path? Corn, uh, soybeans and surai. That's, so that's a no-brainer. That yeah. will work just about anywhere. We can't grow soybeans here. But. Well, okay, wherever you grow soybeans. <laughs> How about cotton? How about cotton? Yeah, we can do cotton, cotton and wheat. Cereal rye. Okay. Okay. You're really, you're really testing me here. I so am. we can't take cereal rye into wheat country. You'll get, you'll get hung. I understand that. Yeah. So how about using wheat then as your cover crop? That's what we're starting to do here. I have found now in this, this is going to be the second year and I kind of stumbled into this test and, and, and I think there's something to this and I don't know what it is yet, but right now, Liz, it looks like, now I, I know the combines haven't ran yet, but it looks like our best beans are going to be beans that were planted into wheat that we did not harvest in July when it was ready. We're going to harvest the beans and the wheat together at, in, in September. But it looks like two years in a row, those are going to be our best soybeans. I don't know why. How does that work? I don't know. There's something about the wheat versus the rye. I don't know. I've got to think more about it. And, and I mean, how do you hold off harvesting wheat? Well, we'll, well, we'll heart, we, it just let it stand there. It'll stand with the beans. It'll start to go down. You'll lose some. You're going to lose some out your combine, but we're going to bring both crops into the combine and then we are going to separate them at the end of the uh, year. So that's what I my like response that. is to the to the Kansas folks is, OK, I know you're going to run me out of town if I say to plant rye, and I understand that because you'll get every load of your wheat rejected. So let's use wheat then as that cover crop, but let's do something. Um, okay, we've got a, a we are looking at that. We've got some stuff here from John uh, Warmer Dam. Cereal rye seems to be the go-to winter cover crop in colder northern climates. Do either of you know or can suggest a best alternative for a warm, warmer area winter cover crop that could possibly be crimped? Where are you? Yeah, John. can you tell us, John, where you are located, please? Probably going to be uh, Arkansas. <laughs> um, and while we're waiting on John to respond, we've got April Prilliman here. For farmers in Kansas and Oklahoma, what are the cover plants and cash crop mix you'd recommend? And do you look for farmers who want to do test plots to compare? What do you think about there, Liz, in, in Oklahoma? I, I, I look for people who want to do test plots. Yeah. 
What do you think um, cover crops would be? Let's see, where are we at? Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Oklahoma. Western Kenya. or Eastern? Probably Western is going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be different, but, you know. It depends I, on if you have cattle or if you don't or if you're irrigated or not. or And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with context. Like, I'm not going to give some blanket recommendation to someone right it has to be very specific yeah that's difficult so april if you're listening just give us a little bit more specificity there please john came back john's in california how you doing john i was just out there it's a beautiful beautiful state um john is is in silage corn country and he's trying to help some dairy friends um my first thought when I think of dairy is triticale. Mm. Now, we got to think about triticale yeah. though in that environment. So, yeah. uh, again, we need a little bit more clarity. Now, John, what are you coming behind here? Is this corn on corn on corn on corn, or is there a rotation here? Liz, are you doing good? You need anything to drink? Or are you good? I'm good. Okay. I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading the chat. Okay. Okay. Uh, April is just east of 35 Perkins, Oklahoma, and no yeah. cattle. Okay. And she wants. She wanted a, co a cover crop mix. Um, that you'd recommend? No cover cattle. Yeah, why don't you call me, April? Yeah, <laughs> we can go over that. Yeah, let's we can do that. Um, Liz, go ahead and give give us your give us your number. Okay, I'm gonna put it in the. Okay, heard the chat. Um, I'm gonna go back to John here. Most guys are corn on corn. Okay, so what do you think, John? So what you're thinking here is silage is gonna come off. I'm assuming. Um, I'm assuming silage is coming off soon, correct? So you've got all this time from right now until all the way back around till you plant your corn back in probably February or March. So we have to think about um, something that could be roll crimped and is not gonna affect your corn uh, in a detrimental way. So I like triticale, um, I like radishes. Radishes you can terminate mechanically. Um, I might even throw in a little bit of um, uh, vetch and or clover. So um, those are things I would think about doing. And if you did clover, I'd do balanza clover and I would do a hairy vetch and we can at the right time a roller crimper will take care of everything I just mentioned, or maybe even now I don't know about oats because oats don't crimp very well and they're not going to winter kill. Use uh, rapeseed. I'm sorry. Do you use, ever use rapeseed? Me? Mm -hmm. I can't because I I can't get I can't terminate it. The, I can't, I cannot mechanically terminate it. 
And if I do not get rid of rape or canola, it will absolutely suffocate the crops that we plant. It is unreal yeah. on what it can do. Unreal. Well, that's good, Liz. You, you got made contact with April. You guys are going to get together later. That See, that's the best way to do it. If you don't have that answer with you right now, just say it. You don't have it. We'll, we'll get it to you later because that's much more valuable than trying to give some pie in the sky explanation that may or may not make any sense. So, Liz, thank you for yeah. that. Well, you're welcome. Um, great questions. Keep them coming in. Keep coming. Um, I'm glad we're getting such a wide, a wide variety. John, did we help there, John, with with a possibility there? And I'd be more than happy to talk to you also at a later date. Um, I can type in my phone number. Um, but but yeah, you don't uh, have anything else to do. <laughs> no, but we got to help people, and that's what I'd like to do. I know. So I want everybody to know that the reason I am on here is because Rick Clark texted me at 2.16 in the morning one night. <laughs> and I responded at 2.17. <laughs> you did. You did. And you, you promptly said, yes, sir, I will. And I, I appreciate you for do, doing that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We um, never tire and we never sleep. <laughs> no. Well, and, and I know that gets frustrating, but but there's a lot of people it's that It's not want, frustrating, it's amazing. It is, but and there's so many people that are hungry for this and are so anxious for this. And Liz, we both know what a lot of the problem here is. It's not so much that the farmer is not willing to take that step <laughs> to do this, it's that farmer does not have someone there locally to help him through the process. Yeah. And that's, that's a big problem. And that was what was on my mind in the beginning of the day, or when we started this conversation. I mean, even just being, I'm not a farmer. I don't farm. I don't know how to set up a planner. But even being a soil scientist and going out and talking to people as an introvert is very hard for me. And being around people like Rick Clark and my husband and all of my team that makes me feel valuable. Mm -hmm. It's everybody's input is welcome. Like everybody has a different situation or context. Everybody has something valuable to, to say we can all right. learn from. Right. Yeah. Well, let's go on to another thing here. You've got, You've got an event called the Big Soil Health Event. Which your, is the best event ever. Your inaugural event was last year. Or no, it was, yeah. yeah last right? year. December, yep. December of 21. Uh-huh. And you now are moving that event to a different spot in Iowa. So mm -hmm. talk about that. What, what, you know, how do people find out about it? Um, yeah. And it was an awesome event. It, it probably or no, it it was the best soil health event I've ever been to. When you look oh, at wow. the lineup Thank of you. speakers that you had and the content that each speaker gave, that was the best soil health event I've ever been to. Thank you. Yeah. 
So take it away. Um, what, what do you got? What do you got brewing for twenty two? So this year we are having it uh, December fifth and sixth in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Um, each year is going to be different. Uh, we really try to direct the conversation and the the community conversations around how to help people implement practices, um, market their products. Uh, this year, we will be going a little more into human health, which mm -hmm. I think is important. Um, we are setting up a regenerative beer brewing contest. Mm -hmm. um, we are very excited about Cedar Falls because they have been open arms, welcome and completely accommodating to anything we we want to do it's going to be amazing we're expecting five to seven hundred people um that's a but lot we really it's a lot of people and it will be a lot of people but we make it very uh community oriented we want people to really network with the not networking is not even the right way to say it. We want people to make friends with people in the community so they have a support network um, yeah. to help them along their path. And yeah. that's that's really like every event that we put on is very, very much we want to foster um, friendship and growth and and support. It's just a larger format. Yeah. Well, good. Um, where is Cedar Falls? Just give us a general vicinity in Iowa. It's somewhere in northern Iowa. Is it? No, okay, northern Iowa. North okay. central. Okay. Yeah. And you had the- Iowa the is not a very large state in my perspective, so we can find well, it. <laughs> in your perspective, from Texas now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now uh, you know i always laugh about texas i've, I've driven there many times and you think you get to the state line you come out of whatever art was arkansas come into texas then a lot of states in yeah arkansas and you think, and you think yeah. oh my gosh we finally made it to texas we're almost there and it's you're still 12 hours away from wherever you're mm -hmm. trying to go mm -hmm. yeah yeah pretty much yeah um let's see Iowa's great though. I love Iowa. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, all, all states are great, but yeah, I was, I was good. Um, okay. So April has made another comment for you, Liz. I have a friend with a quarter section near Winfield, Kansas, leases land to farmer who tills every year, trying to get her interested. Maybe she would be interested in doing a test area there. Thank you. So I think you and April have a lot to talk about after, yeah. after this or sometime in the near future. So that's great. Willing uh, to help in any way. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the big soil health event, though. I mean, so you're you're wanting to do more this time with with human health is associated with soil health. Is that the angle? Yeah. So we're starting with um, a circular discussion about human health, water quality, um, how it affects us as humans and um, we're starting with uh brian darty he's from iowa state he has an excellent discussion which is actually quite hilarious 
Um, he does a really good job. And then we're going to go into Adam Darting from Coffee County, Tennessee. He's going to talk about how to implement practices, how to like spread the message, what cover crops have done to uh, and help the farmers in, in his area. And then we'll go into Adam Chapel. He was going to talk about, he's an entomologist and a farmer from Arkansas. Yep. He's going to talk about uh, uh, reducing pesticide, uh, insecticide applications and return on investment. And then we'll have, yeah, more of implementing uh, practices with Russell from North Carolina. Um, the next day will be more soil health focused. So we'll do some soil testing, some soil information. And then we're going to move into um, food security and um, human health in the second half of the day. I think I hear, I probably hear Aaron Martin's name in there somewhere. Well, I don't have Aaron Martin speaking. I have Aaron Meyer and she is from Chicago. She's a chef. Oh, okay. Yep. Very, very good. Sounds like it's going to be a great, a great lineup of people. Yes. Good. All right. Now let's talk about something else, Liz. I think, I think you're, you're trying, you're working with or part of, I don't know, I could be way off here, but the, the Leopold Conservation Award group, uh, are you working with oh, yeah. them? Yeah. So this okay. is great. Talk um, about them. Talk, talk, tell us what the award is and, and then what are you doing with them? So the Leopold Conservation Award awards people from different practices, different states, doing different conservation efforts. Um, he is from Iowa, Leopold, actually. Um, but this year is the first year that the Leopold Conservation Award has been to Iowa. Hmm. So we are going to announce the first ever Leopold Conservation Award winner in Iowa at the Big Soil Health event on the first day. So I'm very excited about that. And yeah, on Friday, uh, this week, we'll be having a, wait, tomorrow's Friday, right? Yeah, tomorrow. We'll be having a webinar with a winner from yeah. Texas in 2007. Yeah. Uh, I had my pre with him today. He's amazing and yeah. doing super huge things with grazing and and different companies that he's working with and he's a member of several boards um for sustainable activities he's it, it's it's just awesome so all of these award winners are contributing to not only their own farms or ranches or even urban areas um they are are, are truly making a difference in their community and they should be celebrated. So we're we're super proud that we get to announce the first ever Iowa award winner at the Big Soil Health event in, in December. Yeah, that'll be that'll be awesome. And yeah. that it's good that'd be quite an 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 honor to win that award. So yeah. um, be great. That's awesome. Um well well, Liz, what else would anything else we've missed here? You wanna you wanna talk about? Um, 
you've mentioned Russell a couple times, and for those people that don't know, that's Russell Hedrick in in North Carolina. Uh, Russell is um, first generation farmer that's uh, really done a lot of cool things on his farm and and really pushing the envelope there. And he's become very good friends with both uh, Liz and Rick Haney. So. Um, He's a good he's a good one to bring to the table with you, Liz. So uh, what have we missed here tonight? Anything? Um, my husband, Rick, is a good person to bring yeah. to the table. He's yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. So, but y'all heard from him recently. So. Yeah. Yeah. We had him on two or three weeks ago and and he's just, the better I, half. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. But you guys are you guys are both just great. And you're good for this industry and you're good for the future of it. So I thank you very much for doing what you're doing. Well, I thank you. It's great so, to talk to you. So take, take us home, Liz, here. What, what, uh, what closing comments or thoughts would you like to <coughs> have? Closing comments. Anything? Well, I have been struck lately by how warming and welcoming and supportive the people are within my community and I used to not reach out to people and I encourage everybody to do that and and reach out and find out you know, who can help you on the journey? And I know Rick is one of those people. And I know Rick Clark and also my husband, Rick Haney, but and me and, and just, just know that, that it's not going to happen with one person. Right. So right. we really need to work together. And, and I think we're all, everybody I know is for that. And don't ever feel like you're on an island or because anything like that. We're, we're here for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good advice. And, you know, it's like we said earlier, there's so many people hungry for this. They just need help and guidance. And I think we can, we can help these people. So, um, you're doing great things. Um, your husband, Rick is, is, uh, no longer with USDA, he's now with Lance Gunderson at at Regen Ag Lab, and man, I mean, what a power duo those guys are! So, yeah, and you're coming up with you know this this regenerative certificate, or reg, I'm sorry, regen, regenerative verified, which um, is going to be very important in the future of how this is going to play out. So, um, thank you, thank you very much. Uh, had a Jimmy Emmons responded. Uh, awesome job, Liz and Rick. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, you probably would be the best um, to help there. I don't know if you've been listening all evening, but uh, April had a question about what would be some cover crop to plant in Oklahoma. With she has no cattle, so uh, maybe between you and Liz, you guys can 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 help April out. So yeah, Liz, I was gonna refer her to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jimmy's the man down down that way. He's the man. Well, Liz, thank you so much for taking time out to be here. We greatly appreciate it. Thank um, you. 
You bet. You bet. Everyone have a great evening. And Liz, thank you. And until next time, we'll see everybody. So have a great rest of your week. Bye-bye. Thanks.